BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Laura Clivens in San Francisco. State health officials are advising adults who want to get a COVID-19 booster shot to do so before the holiday season. Here's California's Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley speaking at a news conference in Los Angeles yesterday. If you think you will benefit from getting a booster shot, I encourage you to go out and get it. Supplies available. There are many sites across the state, thousands of sites, in fact, available today to help provide you your booster. It's not too late to get it this week. Get that added protection for the Thanksgiving gatherings that you may attend. Galley says the state is working with pharmacies and healthcare providers to make sure no one is turned away. Santa Clara County Public Health Director Dr. Sarah Cody echoed these sentiments, saying anyone 18 or older who wants a booster shot should get one now. Pretty much everybody is eligible for a booster, and there's lots of benefit from a booster. So before the holidays, please go ahead and get a booster shot. Dr. Cody says there's growing concern of another winter COVID-19 surge this year. The CDC recommends boosters for adults 65 and older, people with underlying health conditions, anyone living in a long-term care facility, and those who work in a setting that puts them at high risk for exposure to the virus. Fire-scarred Sequoia National Park is partially reopening today. Park officials say the reopening is limited to day use only in part of the Foothills area, including the Foothills Visitor Center, Tunnel Rock, and some trails. Access to Giant Forest, Lodgepole, and the General Sherman Tree will remain closed. Sequoia National Park shut down in September because of wildfire, which ended up scorching nearly 138 square miles of forest. Nearby Kings Canyon National Park is mostly open already, including the Grant Grove of giant sequoias. California's state delegation to the International Climate Conference this week is packed with Latino power players. California is, uh, is rolling deep, as they say, at this year's COP. That's Coachella Assemblyman Eddie Garcia speaking from Glasgow, Scotland. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon has more on what these elected officials, experts and activists are doing there and the current state of the climate movement. 
Latinos in California are not of the same mind when it comes to climate policy. Our experiences of the warming planet are different, and our access to power varies. At COP, some Californians are credentialed insiders in the inner circle, what's called the blue zone. Others are experts and advocates, credentialed for the green zone, where they lobby and network. Protesters demonstrate to be heard outside that secure area. The idea is that when people are coming in through the into the blue zone, they see all this like advocacy from the green zone. That's Marce Gutierrez-Graudinch from the Ocean Conservation Group Azul. A veteran of several cops, she says California's policymakers are much in demand. Assemblyman Eddie Garcia from Coachella has access to the Blue Zone, where he says our state is an international model for climate policy. And that's California's role at this conference, is to continue to be a global leader in climate change. We produce emissions just like any other industrialized economy, but we also produce climate solutions. California is where new ideas get tested in the real world. Alvaro Sanchez, vice president of policy at the Greenlining Institute, is one step removed from that inner circle. He says the view from the green zone is that California has lots to share, but it's also an oil-producing state where some residents, disproportionately working-class people of color, suffer from extreme heat and air pollution. We see over and over again that people of color are very concerned about climate, that people of color want government to take action on climate. He says this is not your abuelita's environmental movement. The focus is on how the planet impacts people, especially health, opportunities, and environmental justice. In California, and again, we still have a lot of work to do, but the conversation is a little bit more intersectional, where, you know, when we talk about climate, we're also talking about access to technology, and we're also talking about economic opportunity. He and Gutierrez Graudinch both described being shaped by the frustrating and isolating experience of being the only person of color in the room. You know, folks would have like meetings in the yacht club in Orange County and wonder why no more people came in. Right. There was a lot of like, hey, Marcela, can you bring some like Latinos for this? As if I had baskets of people. Right. So rather than tokenizing Latinos, she's trying to make us all into climate activists. At a recent protest in San Francisco, I met Marco Limas. He was heading to Glasgow as a representative of Urban Tilth. He took his first international plane trip to protest outside COP, and his goals were more radical. Infiltrate all the spaces where they're trying to make big decisions and make sure that our voices are heard and that they can't ignore us. Limas grew up in the shadow of Richmond's refineries. He doesn't trust that anyone at COP has his interests in mind. And that's why he's out on the street. And it's just so frustrating because, like, like they're just doing everything to silence us. To Lima's California is not the model. It's where city kids get asthma and farm workers die of heat exhaustion. He says his generation will spend their whole lives dealing with climate disasters. Sanchez agrees, but his strategy is different. He says building a constituency is more effective. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're in Sacramento or at COP. Um, it's the political capital that you have behind your advocacy that's going to make all the difference. Veteran activists like Sanchez appreciate the energy of young organizers because it keeps the pressure on the decision makers. And that's the goal that Latino climate activists all share. For The California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. Fossil fuels are the biggest driver of human-made climate change. 
So why has an analysis by environmental group Global Witness tallied more than 500 gas and oil lobbyists at the U.N. Climate Conference in Glasgow? If these fossil fuel representatives were a country delegation, they'd be the single largest. Cassie Siegel is the director for the Center for Biological Diversity's Climate Law Institute. She lays out more of the details for us. Some of the largest oil producers in California are there at the talks. Chevron Corporation is there. Some of them are actually there with country delegations as official delegates. These are individuals who work for the fossil fuel companies. They are there as delegates for countries. For 27 countries, including big fossil fuel producers like Canada, Russia, and Brazil. Most of these 500-plus representatives are there to get access to the delegates. There's some conversation that they shouldn't be there at all. Can you dig into that? They should not be there. Big oil should not be at the climate talks. You don't work with an arsonist to put out a fire. The UN needs to implement a basic conflict of interest policy and exclude them. Many organizations, including mine, have been calling on this for years. Youth groups are now leading the way. There's an international youth movement called Polluters Out, calling for polluters to be kicked out of the climate talks. And that pressure is definitely starting to work. Some would argue, well, we need these companies that are also energy companies to provide us with energy, not through oil and gas, but through other means. And so they would argue that there is a role for them to actually be there. The fossil fuel producers have forfeited that role. These companies invested billions of dollars into a deliberate disinformation campaign to lie about the science, even though they knew the truth, and to block alternatives to their dirty products. And they are still doing it today. So sure, of course, we will have companies providing clean energy, maybe some fossil fuel companies will convert their operations. But still, when it comes down to it, there is no need for them to be in those negotiating rooms. Can you talk a little bit about how the goals of these companies either have to do with or conflict with what is needed in terms of emissions? So there is a budget for oil, gas, and coal production that we have to stay below in order to stay below the temperature guardrail that scientists have laid out. Oil, gas, and coal companies right now, their production plans would blow through that carbon budget and it would ensure climate catastrophe for the entire planet. How is what's happening with oil lobbyists at COP26 representational of what happens in California? It's a mirror image of what goes on every day in California. The Western States Petroleum Association is a group very active in California. They were exposed a few years back for running a network of fake groups, all working to block climate legislation. They had names like California Drivers Alliance and Fed Up at the Pump, but they were all literally just run by an oil lobbyist. How can the average Californian who is listening to this and is mad about what they're hearing become engaged? In whatever way best works for you, right? There's many organizations (laughs) that um, have many different ways to get involved. But most importantly, engage with your leaders at the local level, at the state level. Pick up the phone. 
let them know that you're watching and that they can no longer simply do what big oil wants. The stakes are too high. That was Cassie Siegel with the Center for Biological Diversity talking about the huge number of fossil fuel representatives at the UN Climate Conference in Scotland. Kevin Slagle of the Western States Petroleum Association says it's critical that his industry has a seat at the table to solve the challenges of climate change equitably. He said more would be accomplished by working together than by banning or eliminating the energy sector and its people from this work. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The Orange County District Attorney's Office is joining a growing list of prosecutors across the state and country that are planning to file murder charges against drug dealers who manufacture or sell fentanyl that results in a person's death. Fentanyl is an extremely potent opioid. OC District Attorney Todd Spitzer says this is a way to confront the deadly fentanyl epidemic. We have seen in Orange County a 1,000% increase over the last five years as a result of overdoses and deaths from fentanyl, intentionally being disguised as other less potent drugs. Riverside, San Bernardino, San Luis Obispo, and Contra Costa counties have already started charging fentanyl dealers with murder. In fact, Riverside currently has seven of these cases pending. Federal prosecutors are also charging suspected fentanyl dealers with murder, but some in the legal community say these actions go beyond what the law allows. A bill in the California legislature attempting to make these charges legal statewide failed. Several defense attorneys also argue that increasing penalties for drug offenses will not save lives. Oakland could soon become the first city in California to stop testing many of its workers for pot use. The current test doesn't just show if someone is under the influence on the job. It produces a positive result if someone's used marijuana up to three weeks prior. Dwight McElroy is chief steward for Service Employees International Union, Local 1021. Over the years, we have been looking at this internally and saying, hey, you know what, this is not right. This is not accurate, and it disproportionately impacts individuals who are very young and individuals of color. Employees can still be tested if the federal government requires it or if they are suspected of on-the-job drug use. The ordinance has been approved by the Public Safety Committee. Now the city administration will discuss it with local unions. And that's the California Report for Thursday, November 11th. 
We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Laura Clivitz. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.